Welcome to Absence Management Perspectives, a DMEC podcast. The Disability Management Employer Coalition, or DMEC as we're known by most people, provides focused education, knowledge, and networking opportunities for absence and disability management professionals. DMEC has become a leading voice in the industry and represents more than 16,000 professionals from organizations of all sizes across the United States and Canada. This podcast series will focus on industry perspectives and provide the opportunity to delve more deeply into issues that affect DMEC members and the community as a whole. We're thrilled to have you with us and hope you will visit us at dmec.org to get a full picture of what we have to offer from webinars and publications to conferences, certifications, and much more. Let's get started and meet the people behind the processes. Welcome to Absence Management Perspectives, a DMEC podcast. I'm Heather Grimshaw, Communications Manager for DMEC, and I'm here today with Lana Ruprecht, Esquire, Director of Product Compliance for Matrix Absence Management, Inc., and Marty Carty, Esquire, Senior Compliance Consultant for the Product Compliance Team with Matrix Absence Management, Inc. Lana and Marty recently answered questions about domestic violence, sexual assault, and stalking laws on the DMEC Communities, a virtual networking group, and they agreed to shed light on some of the issues posed and the resource they created for employers. We've included a link to that resource in the notes section of this podcast, along with a few other resources that you'll hear discussed today. To get us started, I'm hoping you'll shed some light on how employers can track these leave laws to ensure employee safety. More than 20 states have passed domestic violence, sexual assault, and stalking laws, along with state-mandated paid family and medical leave laws that include leave for these reasons. What's the best way for employers to keep track? And does the Federal Family and Medical Leave Act apply here? Heather, thanks. That's a great question for us to get started with. It is difficult for the average employer to keep track, and there are several variations of laws uh, that offer similar types of leave, which cause uh, extreme complications for the employer. I just want to say as a note that it gets to be a mouthful to talk about domestic uh, leave to protect Uh, employees who are victims of domestic violence, sexual assault, and stalking laws. And so sometimes we will use the term um, safe leave to denote these types of of job protection laws. And we also may just abbreviate it down to domestic violence, but that doesn't mean we're not talking about all these related laws, uh, related types of crimes that the laws cover. Um, Let's start with your your point about the Federal uh, Family and Medical Leave Act first. As we'll discuss in a bit, there are some common leave reasons for um, employees to take time off from work under uh, these specific safe leave laws. And the FMLA overlaps a little bit, but not a lot. It does not have most of the typical reasons for safe leave, which, as I explained, we'll get into in a little bit. But it does cover uh, medical treatment for the uh, or a serious health condition for the employee or a family member. So if the employee or a family member is a victim of one of these crimes, uh, the Federal Family and Medical Leave Act might provide coverage uh, if that um, if if there's an injury or illness related to the domestic violence that rises to the level of a serious health condition. 
But more specifically, we're going to look at at the the safe leave laws that come in a variety of packages these days. We have those that you just mentioned um, that uh, uh, are specific state leave laws providing uh, time off and sometimes other job protections and job place accommodations for the victims of these types of crimes. Uh, in addition, there's a new trend in the PFML laws, the paid family and medical leave laws that many states are now adopting to include safe leave as one of the reasons an employee can take paid leave under the state program. And so even in a single state, you might have both um, a specific domestic violence leave law as well as coverage under the paid family and medical leave program in a state. And then a third category that can layer on, many states and municipalities and even counties have paid sick leave that the kind of leave that accrues based on hours worked. And many of these laws require employers to permit employees to take paid sick leave when the employee or a family member is a victim of domestic violence. And that would be also, like we, like we said, referred to as safe leave. And then it bears mentioning that virtually all states have laws that provide job protection for victims or witnesses when they are subpoenaed to attend court or assist prosecuting attorneys um, with respect to many types of crimes or sometimes any crime, and not just the crimes relating to the, the safe leave type of situations. Uh, these court uh, attendance laws, as we call them, generally don't have any employee eligibility requirements, notice requirements, or specific duration. So you have to watch out for those and make sure that your employees are provided appropriate time off when they are called upon to be a witness in a criminal proceeding. Lana, um, Heather asked the question about how can an employer keep track of all of these various things? And do you have any suggestions on resources out there to help employers with this uh, monumental task? Yes, absolutely, Marty. And I think that's a really great question because uh, th this can be overwhelming. And I, I think the amount of laws in the different categories is actually could be a full-time job for uh, a HR representative or employment law attorney to keep track. But matrix absence management, we actually have a table that uh, identifies the numerous jurisdictions that enact the state domestic violence leave laws. And we'll provide a live link to this in the notes to this podcast that you can click on and look at. Uh, we just like this table is great. It's a one-stop shop for employers to track the growing number of jurisdictions offering this type of leave and provides an overview of the requirements. Uh, also, a good resource for the state and local paid sick time laws that we were talking about, that can be found at A Better Balance, which is at www.betterbalance.com balance.org. And that can be used, th these discuss whether sick time can be used for safe leave purposes as well. So that's another resource. Um, but I just want to say, even if you have these resources, you still want to consult with your employment law attorney when these type of situations arise and when dealing with uh, employees who are requesting this type of leave and or accommodations under these types of laws because they vary widely from state to state and jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Thank you both. That's really helpful. And hearing that there's upwards of three different types of, of laws that employers need to consider as they're fielding these types of very serious requests, um, that's the resources are very helpful. And, and again, we will have those in the notes section, the URLs to follow. So it would be really helpful to hear some of the reasons employees can take protected leave under these laws. Are you willing to share some examples? 
Oh, sure. Yeah, because it's really important to understand what the employees' needs might be that are protected by these various laws. And specific leave reasons generally fall into about four main categories. As I mentioned, there's only one type of category that is also covered by the um, FMLA, and we'll, we'll mention that again. One of the common reasons that an employee might need time off is in order to obtain legal or court assistance, such as getting a restraining order to ensure that the employer, the employee's child or family is safe. Um, so going to court to get um, court-ordered protection might be one main leave reason. It, that's very common. And then another common reason is leave to obtain medical care or psychological counseling for the employee or a family member. And this is the one that might be covered by FMLA. And since I mentioned here uh, care for the employee or a family member, it's important to point out that some of these laws provide protections only when the employee is a victim of domestic violence or these other similar types of crimes, whereas some of the laws provide coverage and protections for the employee's job when a family member is the victim. So again, it's important to look at exactly what state law or, or municipal law you're dealing with um, and what the breadth of coverage is for that. Another common leave reason um, is to obtain services from a, a domestic violence shelter a program or a, a rape crisis center, public services like that social welfare services. And again, depending on the employee on the law, this could be for the employee herself or a family member. And I just said for the employee herself, most victims of domestic violence and these types of crimes are women, but men can be victims also. So that's an important point to remember. Don't uh, don't ignore the man who might be, the, the male employee who might be a victim based on stereotypes that, it, that it's always a woman because it isn't. And then finally, another common leave reason under these laws is to allow the employee time off in order to take safety precautions to protect against future domestic violence or sexual assault, including temporary or permanent relocation of the employee's residence. And um, so those are the four most common types of, of reasons covered by the all of these variety of leave laws. Thank you for that overview, Marty. I think it's it's especially pertinent to add in the piece of being careful of stereotypes and, and really looking at the person who's coming and to you or or who you recognize might need help instead of assuming it would be one gender or another. So do you all expect more of these laws? And if so, what should employers do now to prepare? Are there examples of best practices for employers that you could discuss? Yes, that's a that's a great question um, or questions. Actually, we would not be surprised, though, if more states enacted these types of laws going forward. Particularly, it seems that more and more states are incorporating this type of leave into their paid leave legislation. Um, as in as in to your question on the best way to prepare, I think employers just need to make sure their current policies and procedures internally comply with applicable state laws and to modify them accordingly. If there's any new laws that are, are changes in the future um, enacted or if the requirements change. As to best practices, we actually developed along with the DMEC a checklist of best practices that you can see in the notes uh, description of this podcast that goes through step by step. And we can we can summarize these steps for you right now. Um, I'll have Marty start with the first step and we can go from there. Thanks, Lana. Yeah, the first step is uh, easy to state. 
which is recognize the situation that the employee is in, but that not is not always easy to to put into practice. Um, an employee who has experienced or is experiencing domestic violence may be afraid or embarrassed to share information with you. And um, so it's kind of up to the employer, and especially um, we're going to talk more than once about training supervisors, uh, to notice if there's a change in behavior of the employee or uh, observable physical injuries that cause you to suspect that the employer or a family member is a victim. Um, you want to you, you want to be careful that you don't pry because it's a very sensitive situation, but do what you can to open the door and offer help to the employee. Just ask general questions like, are you all right? Or can we offer any help? Or make general statements um, and let the employee volunteer information to the extent he or she is comfortable. And supervisors should never hesitate to enlist help from HR to manage the situation Lana, um, why don't you take it and tell us about um, next steps? Yes, the next step we have, and it's in the checklist that you'll see, is is step two, gather the facts. And, and just like exactly what Marty said, the best way to gather facts is to ask open-ended questions. You don't want to come across as prying. You don't want to ask uh, information that... Uh, you know, has the employee isn't willing to give out that impacts their privacy or medical information, but questions such as how can I help you? What do you need? Is there anything I can do? Uh, those kind of questions are are open ended and show that you care about the employee and their and their safety and welfare, but aren't are prying and it, it enables you to gather facts. And we'll talk more too about, you know, the, the supervisor in this process can ask the open-ended questions, but ultimately you want to have a central point at your organization, whether it's the leave management group, the HR group, that you can hand this off to to make sure the supervisor isn't in the situation of, of getting, you know, putting this all in the supervisor to get all this information. Um, and then also uh, an important part of step two when you're gathering the facts is to, the, as an employer, you should be documenting uh, what the request was and what the employee said and keeping that in a separate confidential file. Uh, step three, uh, know the laws. Uh, this seems pretty basic, but like we said, these vary from state to state and they vary uh, quite a bit. So it's very important. So after gathering the facts, the employer should um, consult with their uh, human resources expert or their employment law attorney to determine the compliance obligations based on the situation. Uh, I already mentioned before our table chart that we created that is is very informative and will be in the notes, but that is not a substitute for actual legal advice in this type of situation. Um, and so when you're doing this, you want to, you know, check, work with your attorney, check federal law. Like Marty mentioned at the beginning of this, in some situations, the Family Medical Leave Act can apply if the employee has a serious health condition. Uh, also, look at the state law requirements. Determine what your obligations are as an employer under the law, what sort of documentation you should request and obtain, and what you are able to obtain. And third, are there any municipal or local laws that apply as well? So this is all. A, these are all questions that you should get into w when working closely with your attorney on this situation. 
Uh, and now we have step four, and I'll turn that back over to Marty. Thanks, Lana. And before I go on to that, um, I do want to go back and and talk a bit more about the state law requirements, because we, we've been focusing basically on the state laws that specifically provide safe leave of some kind, whether it's the paid sick leave, the PFML, the, the specific domestic violence leave laws. But there are other state laws that might be applicable, too. And talking about the Family and Medical Leave Act kind of brings this up because a lot of states have um, state level FMLA equivalents. They're not the job. uh, They're not the um, paid leave programs that are becoming prevalent, but are similar to the FMLA with regard to uh, job protected but unpaid time off. California's uh, California Family Rights Act. uh, and uh, other other states that Oregon and formerly Washington, but that's gone now. Um, other states that have the job protected leaves that again might cover, uh, if not specifically safe leave, might cover for the medical reasons that an employee might need time off for themselves or a family member. So your next step in the process is to gather the documentation that you're entitled to with uh, that will support the employees request. And sometimes these laws allow employees to ask for a workplace accommodation that will help make them more safe or deal with their situation better or time off. So if the employee um, is asking for a time off or a workplace accommodation, you are entitled to get documentation to support, but this is spelled out by law and it will vary by law. Generally, though, it'll include things like proof of a court proceeding the employee needs to attend or a provider's note to indicate time off from medical care or counseling. Um, Another common example of documentation that comes up in these situations is the employee may obtain a restraining order against the offender and uh, to require by court order the offender to, to stay a certain distance away from the employee, say no closer to the employee than 500 feet. And this will usually be effective while the employee is at work as well. So if the employee tells you that they have a restraining order um, uh, for the offender to stay away from them, you're entitled to get a copy and know the parameters of that order and get a photograph of the offender to make um, security or other appropriate personnel at your workplace aware um, to be on the lookout for this, this individual. Um, and then just remember that such information is highly sensitive and confidential and make sure that you, again, that training word, uh, make sure you train your managers and human resources department appropriately to ensure that the information is maintained securely and confidentially. Lana, I'll let you take on um, the, our last couple of steps on our checklist. That sounds great. Thank you, Marty. And step five, which you will see, again, you'll have the link to this um, in the notes section and you can go through this document. But step five that we, we have is educate employees. This step should really be taken proactively at all times by the organization. Even though we have it as step five, this is something employers should always be doing. And all employers throughout the employment relationship should make sure they educate their employees on their rights under applicable state laws for this type of leave. 
And employers should utilize state-mandated notices and company policies and handbooks to aid in this communication. Under many of these leave laws we're discussing, there are required notices or required content that needs to be placed in the handbook. So you'll, again, that's another piece you want to work with HR and uh, your employment lawyers to make sure that you are complying with that. Um, and, you know, once an employee needs leave for domestic violence, sexual assault, stalking, or other similar types of crimes, it will be a very emotional and difficult time. So it's always a good practice to personally provide the employees with a written description of their rights under the applicable laws instead of saying, just go to the handbook, it's there. Um, the employee will need time to you know, take in the information and identify any questions or concerns that they have. And then step six, check in with the employee. This is a very important step. As with all leaves and you know, accommodation requests, the work just doesn't end once the leave is granted, right? In fact, an employee who needs leave for reasons associated with domestic or sexual violence or stalking, I think it's so important just as a good uh, employer to check in and make sure they're safe, make sure they're comfortable. Just again, use those open-ended questions we talk about. You know, is, is this working for you? Is there anything else you need? Is there anything else we can do to help? Uh, so just friendly check-ins to the ensure the employee is safe and secure are important. And you want to make sure the check-in is, is coming across in a compassionate uh, manner and, and truly in a way to make sure the employee is, is, is doing okay and that the accommodation and our leave request is working for them. That's a really important note there, Lana. I think throughout, both of you have talked about the support that's necessary. I, I think that that will resonate with listeners. So in addition to the leave, um, some states that have passed these laws also require accommodations. Uh, and you provide helpful guidance in the leave for domestic violence victims checklist. Would you talk a little bit about the fact gathering process and the guidance provided? Some of these laws do require that employers not only offer leave to the employee, but also set forth a duty to accommodate an employee who is impacted by domestic violence or a similar crime. And accommodations might include things like changing the employee's work phone number or physical location or allowing a flexible work schedule so the employee can change the times of arriving and departing from work, not, not be so predictable if someone is stalking them or watching to try to catch them uh, on their way to or from work. So there are some types of accommodations employers might have to provide. Um, as far as the fact-gathering process, Lana, I'm going to turn that over to you and let you talk about how we go about that. But it's so important, you know, not just in a leave context, but in an accommodation, proce uh, accommodation process request is to listen actively and carefully to what the employee needs. And always keep in mind, this is a very traumatic and extremely sensitive situation. So like, you know, just to echo what we both have already discussed before, you want to ask open-ended questions. Again, you want to stay away from any type of intrusive questions that would provide you with information uh, that, that you don't need. And you what you want is information that is helpful to allow you as an employer to accommodate the employer. I mean, the employee. Uh, you should not ask for nor should you want too much information. For example, if the employee needs time off for medical treatment, there's no need to ask what the exact injury is in this situation. Similarly, if the employee is taking a child to counseling, you don't need to know what the issues the child is specifically struggling with in that situation either. 
So do you two expect to see a paid leave for domestic violence, sexual assault, and stalking leave on the horizon? Well, I'll jump in here. Um, there are already several paid state leaves for victims of domestic violence and, and these similar crimes. And that definitely seems to be a legislative trend. We're seeing it more and more and do not expect it to stop. So get yourself ready and, and know that there's more coming down the road almost certainly. Um, as we're seeing it more and more as a covered leave reason in these state paid family and medical leave programs and the state paid state and local and municipal um, paid sick leave programs. Coverage varies by state. And some examples of states with PFML laws that um, include safe leave are New Jersey uh, paid safe leave. Are New Jersey and Connecticut already in force? Oregon is going into effect on um, uh, September of 2023 with paid family and medical leave program that will cover safe leave and Colorado similarly goes into effect on January of 2024. Um, however, it's not it's not uh, a given that any new paid family and medical leave legislation is going to include this as a covered leave reason. The most recent legislation passed in the PFML sphere um, is Maryland and Delaware, uh, and neither one of those has safe leave as a covered leave reason, although I don't think we've seen the the um, end of of the word on what those statutes in Maryland and Delaware are going to cover because they're both expected to be amended before they go into effect. And I'll just jump in on the uh, the other part of the question too. And to the extent that you're asking Heather if if there's any national or federal paid domestic leave law, we don't anticipate one at this time. The state laws are you know they they're quite different um, from state to state. And we don't expect that any federal law would preempt these existing laws. And like I said, state laws mandating this, mandating this type of leave very widely and eligibility and the types of protections that are offered. But we're continuing to track these developments. That may change. You know, we can't see into the future. So practically just preparing and administering one such law, though, we just think would be pretty tricky. Absolutely. That, that's really helpful. Thank you for covering that from all angles there. Uh, so in a domestic violence situation, employers want to balance their need for documentation with an employee's need for privacy. Can you share best practices for what documentation is appropriate and how employers determine when they have enough? This is something that you've you've touched on a little bit throughout, and I think it would be helpful just to really narrow that scope here. Sure. Um, let me say uh, at the outset that an employer has a right to get documentation to support the employee's leave or accommodation request, but you're not required to. An employer can choose to take the employee's word for it and not require the type of documentation that they might be permitted to get. I caution that if you as an employer take that approach, you need to be sure to be consistent and, and um, not at, require one employee to give documentation and another uh, take their word for it. You open yourself up to inconsistent treatment and possibility of discrimination charges. So adopt a uniform policy. And I do think the best practice is to get the documentation you're entitled to um, if the employee is requesting time off to relocate to a safer location, um, you don't need to ask about medical appointments. You um, So focus on, like Lana said previously, focus on what you really need for the specific reason the employee is asking for time off. 
um, after you know what the employee is che- is requesting, check those state and local laws again to make sure that the documentation that you want is permitted and allowed under the law. And use common sense. Um, for example, it's rare in these instances where you would need any actual medical records or information, but rather just need the verica- verification that the employee has a medical appointment for a related purpose. Only ask what is needed for you to evaluate the request. Don't go beyond that. It's a case-by-case situation, but use your judgment and consult with your employment attorney. There's that refrain again. Um, And I think also, Lana touched on this, but there should be just one central point of contact for the employee to work with and provide information and make sure that person is fully trained on applicable state laws and company policies and that such information is maintained separately and confidentially. Having one point of contact helps the the employee feel a little more protected and uh, less like they are sharing with the world their their very private details. And one of the other pieces that you all have have touched on throughout the conversation is the pressure on direct supervisors. How should employers prepare supervisors and leaders to handle these types of very sensitive events or issues? That's a great question, Heather. And you know, it's really a practical issue that does come up. Uh, but you know, high level employers should just make sure that their leaders and supervisors understand internal policies, understand this applicable laws in, in the states where they have employees and and realize that employees uh, can take leave falling into these categories and they should be familiar with the law company policy and be able to issue spot if 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 this comes up we don't want to put this all on the supervisors to to be managing the leave and taking uh, charge of it you don't want to put the supervisors as an employer and in, into a position where they feel like they have to ask detailed questions and collect documentation from the employee who are requesting leave in these situations and I would add there that that supervisors don't even need to ask questions if they're not comfortable with it. Just call in HR to ask the questions if that's a preferred method and what they're more comfortable with. I think that's really helpful guidance. And I would assume an important message to convey out to those supervisors and managers. So I just wanted to thank you both so much for sharing your expertise on this very complicated and sensitive topic. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? Heather, I really would. I, I just want to give a, a closing thought a thought or two here. Um, clearly, this is a complex situation that's only going to get more complex and employers really need to be aware and educated on these expanding job protections for um, employees who are victims or whose family members a victim of domestic violence or these similar crimes. And also understand that it's really a stressful and often dangerous situation for an employee. And so the employer should give that employee as much support as they can, whether there's a law requiring it or not, um, be sensitive and supportive of that employee in a very difficult time. Uh, even if such a leave or accommodations are not mandated by state or local laws, I think because it's so widespread now and and so important, employers should consider adopting a company policy providing for such leaves and accommodations, even if not mandated by law where they have employees. Uh, I just uh, can't say enough about the the support that employees need and how much you will um, foster. Uh, uh, your employees' well-being by being there and being supportive as an employer. 
Absolutely. I think this is such a, a critical time for employers to really show that support as you're noting there, Marty. Thank you both again so much. We appreciate your time and your guidance and the resources that you've mentioned throughout the podcast. We will have those URLs in the notes section so that people can follow up and see the checklist and some of the resources that both Marty and Lana have mentioned today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.